Well, if you've been here with us, we are in the Gospel of Matthew. And we've been in the most famous portion that, of Jesus' teaching, his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been in the portion of it that is heavy application. What it's showing you is this. Here's what kingdom living looks like. And when I say kingdom, here's how I use that word. Kingdom means the reign and the rule of God. It's not here and it's full. Right now we look out at our world and we see that Christ is overall, but we don't experience his full reign, his full rule. He's coming. But until he comes, the church, the body of Christ, we're to be a taste of what the reign and rule of God looks like when it comes in its full. And we've been looking at what kingdom people, and if you're a Christian, if you've trusted Christ, if you're a new creation, born again, then you are a kingdom person, what it looks like for us to live life. Last week, we saw that Jesus started out with an erroneous understanding of the law that the Sadducees and the Pharisees had, and he said, hey, you've heard it said don't murder. And we said for virtually everybody, if there's one command that is the least broken command, it's murder. And everybody's thinking, hey, don't murder. Most people are going, we're good. We've got that one. And Jesus looks and says, yeah, but if you've been angry at your brother, if you've been angry to the point of insult, angry to the point of slander, you have murdered them in your heart. And then he said, hey, uh, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. And he says, but if you've lust, if you have lust in your heart after another person, if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Jesus takes it right back to the heart issue, that that's where it lies. And this week he continues on. He has six of these. We're looking at the middle two where he says, you have heard it was said, but I say to you. And the two we're going to look at today flow right out of anger, right out of lust, and those two things are two of the main things that get into our marriages. Jesus is going to start talking today about some areas of divorce and keeping your oath, and he's going to make his listeners uncomfortable. We talked about that last week. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, everybody wasn't sitting out there saying, oh, I feel so good. This makes me feel good about myself. They were under conviction. They felt a weightiness to this. So as you and I come into this, there may be some weight we feel. We should be convicted of our sin. The church should not hide from talking about sin because sin is what keeps us from experiencing the fullness of Christ. It's what keeps us from living the way we're supposed to. Yet as much as we talk about sin, we have to talk about the grace of God because God's grace is amazing. And here's the thing. The more you understand your sinfulness, the more glorious, the more full, the more sweet God's grace is. God has forgiven us of our sin through Christ. And that is glorious. And when a person looks and goes, my sin is no big deal. I can handle my own sin. When they live that way, they make little of the grace of God. But when you recognize the sinfulness of your heart and how you're prone to stray 
and how sin will lead you astray and wreck your life. When you see that, you make much of God's grace. So everything today, we're going to see some heavy things, some tough things. But as we go through those, hear those in light of the rich, glorious, forgiving, merciful, beautiful grace of God. Because if you don't hear it in light of that, we can all leave here feeling, woe is me. No, it's God's grace that is glorious and good. So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 through 37. If you would please stand for the reading of God's good word. Verse 31. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you should perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word does declare that all men are like grass. And all our glories like the flowers of the field, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word stands forever, Lord, and may this be the word that is preached today. Lord, unless you speak, nothing of any significance will be spoken here today, so speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, as I said in this section, we see Jesus six times, he'll say this, here's what you've heard, but here's what I say to you. You've heard something, but you've misunderstood the law. I'm going to give you the interpretation because there was so many interpretations of the law going on to, in that day. And he's just spoken of anger and lust. And next he goes into divorce. Because when you talk about marriage, what are the things that get into marriages, that make marriages difficult, where, where the spouses begin to struggle? It starts with anger. Lack of communication, misunderstanding, anger leads to great brokenness. Jesus says it's a form of murder and lust, a form of adultery. So out of that, he comes to marriage and he says, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Jesus said, hey, this is what you've heard. And this comes from, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, the first four verses, Moses because of the hardness of the heart of the Israeli people, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, their hearts were hard. And here's what uh, they, they were leaving their wives and Moses put parameters around it. But that's never been God's intent. God's intent in marriage is this. One man, one woman, one flesh for life. That's the way God intended it. That's God's that's for God's glory. It's for our good. It's oftentimes our societal misunderstanding of marriage that leads to greater brokenness. 
Many people believe, hey, when, when I'm married, uh, and single people, you may be thinking this. Hey, when I'm married, then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be happy. Then life will really begin. The, the young adults, that's often what you're thinking. You desire to be married. That's a godly thing. But know this, marriage is not intended to make you happy. Now, it could do that, but that's not its purpose. So if you're looking for marriage going, marriage will make me happy, you're looking for it to deliver something that God never intended for it to primarily deliver. Marriage is to make you holy. It's to make you more like his son. It's to sanctify you. It's for you to live for another person. It's to be a display of the gospel. As you die for that other person and live for that other person, it's a glorious thing. And Jesus says, here's what you've heard. If you divorce your wife, give her a certificate of divorce. In the Old Testament, here's what was going on. A man would divorce his wife. He'd give her a certificate of divorce. She would marry another man. That man would get rid of her. She would come back to her first husband. And he said, you can't do that. It was sort of a, a form of like wife swapping that was going on. So he's speaking to a, a unique circumstance. And what they said is that you could divorce her for uncleanliness. And the Jewish people were debating what does that uncleanliness mean? It's some sort of sexual uncleanliness, but they started opening up all sorts of schools of thought. In Jesus' day, there were two predominant Jew, Jewish schools of thought. The school of Hillel and the school of Shammai. One said, hey, you can divorce your wife for any reason. All you've got to do is walk up to her and do this. I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, Becca, you're done. It's over. That's all you have to do. Others said, no, you've got to have more reason than that. You've got to have a reason like she burned your food. Then you can go divorce her, you know. So they were throwing in other reasons. So there's all sorts of reasons that they said you could get divorced. And Jesus here, he says, here's what I say to you, everyone, everyone, who divorces his wife, except, and Jesus only gives one exception. All we, we only see one exception that Jesus gives in Scripture. Search the passages. This is all we get. This is Jesus speaking, except on the ground of sexual immorality. That's the one that Jesus gives. He says, if it's not for that, you make her commit adultery. Because in marriage... Husband and wife, there's something that they share that they share with no one else. One man, one woman, physical intimacy, that's something that they share with no one else. And when that marriage covenant is broken by someone going outside of that, Jesus says, except for marital unfaithfulness. But if you divorce your wife for another reason and she goes and marries another person, he says, you've made her out to commit adultery. Now, these are hard words. And I know some of you are hoping I'll do this with this sermon, that I'll tell you all the reasons that you biblically maybe could get divorced or the reasons you can't, all the different views. And I'll tell you the views on divorce and divorce and remarriage, even within the Christian community, can vary some. And I'll tell you if you're here today and that's what you're wanting, your heart is probably already hardened. And you're looking going, God, is there a way, some way that I can biblically be justified to end this marriage? That's not a healthy place to be. If that's where you are, please 
Come talk to our elders. Please come talk to our pastors. Talk to me. Talk to Pastor Mike. One of the things that we encounter frequently, too frequently, is when a couple comes to talk to pastors and say, our marriage is struggling. They've already made up their mind that they want to end it. If you're struggling, come early. Get help early. Don't wait. No, this is, Satan loves to get into marriages and mess them up. That's what he wants to do. He wants to twist marriage. He wants to break marriages. That's the first institution that God set up in the Garden of Eden. One man, one woman. The two become one flesh. It's a glorious picture. God created it. And like I said, there's various views on it. Scripture has a lot to say about it. And our pastors are always willing to sit with couples and process. But today, I'm not going to get into all those nuances. Jesus clearly says, except on the grounds of sexual morality. We have a high view of marriage. Here's what Malachi 2.16 says. It says that God hates divorce. That there's a hatred of this by God. Now, as I say that, I don't want to say that without sensitivity and reality. There are some here today who I know, I've talked with you, who've experienced divorce. And here's what I also know. For the follower of Christ who's experienced divorce, to a person, here's what I always experience. There is deep hurt. There's deep pain. There's deep shame. They feel the implications of that divorce. They aren't usually the ones looking at it going, divorce is good. They're going, we taste it. It's bitter. Many of you have tasted it. Some of you come from homes where your parents divorced. You feel the, the, the bitterness and the brokenness of it. You're not looking there going, that's good. You're going, that's, that's, that's not of God. We don't want that. We want to fight with everything in us as a church for excellent, God-glorifying, healthy marriages. That's what we're called to do. The enemy wants to attack us first there because when he attacks marriage, he's attacking the family. I believe this firmly that the most important thing my kids can have, if I want to raise godly kids and point them to Christ, the most important thing I can do is love their mother well. They say the number one thing that stabilizes children is mom and dad's relationship. So if you want to raise godly kids, men, you focus on that woman beside you more than you focus on those kids. Wife, you focus on that man beside you more than you focus on those kids. That's the best thing you can give them is a God-glorifying, amazing marriage. That's what they need to see, and that's what they're going to reproduce. You see, in our flesh, here's what happens. All of us where do we first learn about marriage? The home you grew up in. That's where you first learned about it. And the homes we grew up in, they're not perfect. Some of you grew up with parents that were great, God-glorifying examples. Praise God. But they still weren't perfect. And some of you grew up with homes that had all sorts of brokenness and hurt and pain in it. And here's what happens. In your unsanctified moments... In your moments when you're in the flesh, guess what you do? You go back. Men, 
You go back to what you saw your dad doing often. Wives, you go back to what you saw your mom doing often. And we pass it on to the next generation. It ought not to be. No, fight for your marriage. Don't pass on the brokenness of your marriage to the next generation. Labor for it. War for it. Make it a priority. The enemy loves to get in there. And Jesus says here, he has a high view of divorce. He gives one exception. I mean, high view of marriage, low view of divorce. God does not like divorce. He says he hates it. But if you're here today and that's what you've experienced, I just want to tell you this. God's grace is enough. If you're here today and you've experienced divorce and you're going, I don't know if that divorce was biblical. I don't know if we did the right thing and you're looking back on it. Know that God's grace, Jesus going to the cross for sin, He covers your sin. He's sufficient. He's enough. He forgives you. I want you to know that if you've tasted that, that He forgives you because he, you, all your sin is covered in Jesus Christ and you're forgiven for the Christian in Him who's experienced divorce. But you also know this, that he doesn't magically erase all the consequences of that here on earth. Church, I believe that those within our body who've experienced divorce for whatever reason, we don't need to heap more shame and hurt and pain on them. They already feel it. Extend grace, extend love. As the body of Christ, how can we help you? You've experienced something that, that, that was traumatic. How can we come alongside and be there for you? That's what we should do as a church, to love in that way. Look, look at what he says in verse 33. He says, again, you've heard it said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform uh, to the Lord all that you have sworn. Now, this is not from a particular verse in the Old Testament. It's taken from the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers, the book of Deuteronomy. They all speak to this exact same idea that you are to not bear false testimony. You're to keep your word. And Jesus goes on to say this. He says, hey, don't take an oath at all. Now, some have mistakenly thought a Christian should never take an oath. And I appreciate the desire to be completely faithful to Scripture, but that, I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying. Paul took oaths. We all take oaths of some sort. If you sign a rental agreement, that's a form of an oath. If you buy something, you're making some form of oath. When it gets stamped, it's some form of approval of an oath. So we all make oaths. He's not saying don't make an oath. Here's what he's saying. The religious leaders, here's what they would do. I swear by Jerusalem. And somebody else would go, I swear on Jerusalem. Now, guess what? If you swear by Jerusalem, that's binding. But if you swear on Jerusalem, that's not binding. What they were doing, the religious leaders who had all of these rules, they had added 10,000 more rules in the Mishnah to the uh, 613 of the Old Testament, and they are making more rules, heaping them on people, and they're getting into wordplay. They're doing trickery. Hey, I made an oath with you, but it's not binding because I made it on Jerusalem. Or you made, you made an oath with me and it is binding because you made it by Jerusalem. It's little wordplay that they're saying this binds you, this doesn't bind you. All they're trying to do is trick people to do what they want. And he says, no, you do not do that. When you say yes, 
your word should be enough. When you say, no, your word should be enough, this comes into all areas of life as the Christian. Sometimes we're going to feel the, the sting of having said yes to something that we go, oh, that was a bigger yes than I realized, but I'm going to carry it out. Now, I realize many of our cultures in this room are less direct. So when someone asks you, you don't want to offend them. You don't want to say no. But to say yes and not keep your word, that's problematic. Jesus says anything more than that comes from evil. No, we, we keep our word as Christian. When we say yes, we keep it. When we say no, we keep it. Even if it's uncomfortable to tell somebody no, it's better to tell them no than to say yes to avoid some shame and then come back and not do it. No, Jesus says, let your word be your word. That's how we should be as Christians. Let me ask you, the place you work, when you say, I've got it, I'm going to do it, do you follow through? In your home, in your neighborhood, to our students at school, is your yes a yes, is your no a no? Do you honor your word? Our word is important as Christians. It speaks to our belief in God and who he is. And how we honor and respect him. Now, and this gets even into our marriages. Like going right back to divorce here. Most marriages, most Christian marriages, even in different cultures, because I've looked at the vows in some different cultures, say something to this effect. In sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, till death do us part. You make an oath with that person. You make a commitment to that person. You don't say, I'm committed if you make me happy. I'm committed if you're rich. No, I'm committed to you no matter what. Our marriages are one of the best testimonies of who we believe God is. Our marriages should bring glory to Him. They should honor Him. They should praise Him. But as I said, the enemy loves to get in the midst of this. Now, going back earlier, Jesus started this section. You've heard it said, do not commit murder. When I spoke on that a couple weeks ago, I told you this. I said, hey, the person, the people that you're most likely to murder, and now I'm speaking of how Jesus speaks of it in anger. The people that you, have, that you will be the angriest at and display the most anger to are people that you feel you have authority over. People that work under you. Maybe a spouse, people that you feel the most secure with. And now I know I'm speaking a lot on marriage, because I believe that's where Jesus is taking us. And I want to be faithful to that. And I know we have a lot of single people here, but know that the time to prepare for marriage is before you get married. Okay? You need to know these things. These are important. You need to have a, a godly view of marriage to our single people. Don't get so in love with the idea of marriage that you would compromise and you would start to date a non-Christian. That's basic. No, Christians date Christians. That's how we operate. Don't be unevenly yoked. You need to know what marriage is about so that you don't end up marrying somebody who doesn't treat you and honor you the way that God has called them to. Now I want to look at a few ways I'm calling this, do not murder your spouse. Now that sounds a little goofy. Jesus meant to shock people. Nobody wants to murder their spouse, but I want to show you ways that you do this. 
ways that we fall into this. Listen, verbally, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 1, uh, 12, 34. You don't yell at your spouse. Wives, don't yell at your husband. Husbands, you don't yell at your wife. You don't do that. That's not how we treat one another. You don't raise your voice at one another. That's not how we speak to our spouses. And if that's a part of your relationship, for God's glory and for your own good, you need to repent and say, God, we've been going the wrong way. We want a marriage that honors you. You don't speak to each other that way. You don't call names or insult your spouse. You don't belittle them. I mean, go back and look at what Jesus said back in uh, Matthew 5, verse 21 through 25. This isn't how we treat each other. No, you don't do these things. You don't speak of your spouse negatively or in a belittling way in front of other people. You seek to honor them, to lift them up, to show respect for one another. You don't go historical. You know what that means? Well, you always do this. You know what you always do. You always back this way, bringing up history. No, we forgive as Christians. We don't bring up the past over and over and over again and continually beat our spouse up with some past wrong. We don't go historical. We don't turn things around. Well, I know I did, but here's what you did. What you did was worse than what I did, so I could do what I did because you did what you did. No, we don't do that in marriage. Don't argue in front of your kids. It's not how we behave. The patterns your children see in your marriage will be the patterns that they will take into their marriage. Don't give them unnecessary baggage. Don't load them down with those weights. Free them of it. Don't argue in front of your kids. Don't use your kids in a debate. Who's right, mom or dad? Who are you going with, kids? God hasn't called them to that. One thing, my children, I want them to always know. Mom says no, dad says no. Dad says no, mom says no. We agree. Even if we haven't talked, we're, we're unified, we're one. I want my children to know this. And one of the things that my boys can do that can make me mad really quickly. You talk rude to your mom. You insult your mom. I'm not going to put up with it for long. I don't like that. They know I don't like that. They know I don't tolerate that. Why? Because she's number one. She's more important to me than you. I love my children with everything I have. My wife's number one. Okay? Wives, your husband's more important than your children. That's the way God's created it. Husbands, your wife is more important than your children. That's the way we're to live. And in that, our children see the order of how God has created it. It's not saying our children aren't important. They're, they're treasures God has given us, but the most important thing is that spouse. And the best gift you can give your kid is loving your wife, loving your husband. It's a gift. You don't refuse to talk, meaning you shut down and go silent. You don't give your spouse the silent treatment. These are things that we, we don't operate this way. We're Christians. We've died to self to live for Christ. We're to be different. This is how we're to live, okay? 
One of the things I love about IEC is we've got a great group of elders. I, I don't lead this church. I lead it with a group of elders under the authority of the Holy Spirit of God, being led by God. And this week, one of our elders reached out to me and he said, hey, something you've said a couple times, uh, while true, could potentially be damaging. And I was so grateful that he said that. You see, the last couple of weeks, I've said this about marriage. I've said, the key to marriage is dying to self. And I do believe that. I believe in marriage, if you're looking for that other person to change, you're to change, you're to die to self. But he said this. He said, in cultures where men dominate women, and a woman who's in a tough marriage and she hears die to self, that can be so damaging. That can be so damaging. You see, man, you're to treat your wife gently. Second thing, the way that we murder our spouse is physically. You don't put your hand on your spouse in anger. Husbands, you never lay a hand on your wife in anger. To do so is to act like a little boy throwing a temper tantrum, and it's evil. I can call it nothing else but evil. It's wicked, it's cruel, and it needs to stop. And sadly, here's what I know, and I wish I didn't know this, but there are some women sitting here right now that are hearing these words, and you've got a husband that's abusing you. That is not right. It ought not to be. That is sinful. It's wrong. Please, if that's where you are, if you're a woman and you're counting that, please come talk to me. Talk to Pastor Mike. Talk to our elders. You're not to live that way. No woman should be in a marriage where they're afraid of the very person that's to take care of them, the very person that's to protect them. So if any woman finds himself there, please implore you be bold enough to say, I need help. I need, I need someone to help me. And men, if you are there, if you are laying a hand on your wife out of anything but compassionate, tender love, if you're putting your hands on your wife in any way that she would not desire, you need to repent and you need to get help. Talk to somebody. This is destroying our marriage and we can't be silent about it. We need help with these things. This is not how we're to live. Listen to what uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 7. He says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Two things about the wife here. He's speaking to husbands. Okay, men? If you're a man, I want you to feel this. God wants you to feel this. If you need to be convicted by this, be convicted by it. Deal with it. He says, he says, one, they are heirs with you in the gracious gift of life. Total equality between men and women. We're unique. I can't give birth to a baby. We're different. But there's equality. And there's, there's, God, has, God has made us this way. Heirs, fellow heirs in the gracious gift of life. Both of us, if we trust in Christ, we're both going to receive that. 
But he also says the woman is the weaker vessel. Now, some get caught up in what does that mean. Well, quite simply, throughout the history of the world, women are typically physically weaker than their husbands. I'm not a particularly big man, but I'm stronger than my wife. That's not always the case. Here, here's an, another imagery I've seen is, is this word for weaker vessels like fine china. Anybody, y'all know what fine china is? It's like the most expensive type of plate that you could have, but it's delicate. You've got to handle it carefully. You can't throw it around. Like this cup, this cup's made of plastic. I dropped this cup, no big deal. This is made of glass. I dropped this, we're going to have to have a cleanup. Somebody might get their foot cut. I'm not going to drop it. I'm going to handle it gently, delicately. I'm going to care for it. Man, that's how you're to treat your wife. The most valuable thing God has given you here on earth is your wife. You handle her gently like fine china. You be compassionate with her. You care for her. She should feel more safe with you than anywhere else on the earth. And if she doesn't, you need to repent. You need to turn to Jesus. Because here it says this, so that nothing may hinder your prayers. A man who is abusive to his wife, his prayer life is meaningless. His prayer life is worthless. No, our prayer life has a connection with God, a relationship with God. But God says, if you can't take care of the number one relationship I've given you men, I'm not going to hear of you until you start dealing with that. If you're a man here today and you're not living with your wife this way, get help. Please come talk to our elders. Talk to someone. We don't abuse our spouses physically. Now, I want to, I've been hard on the men here, but women, you don't hit your husbands either. Just because he's bigger than you, you don't go, I'm going to hit you and yell at you just because I can. And it will, I don't think it'll hurt you. You don't do that. We don't hit, push, slap, pinch, choke, kick, shove. We don't do those things. It's not how we live. We treat each other with respect and dignity. We don't abuse substances. That's a form of abuse. We don't force physical intimacy. We don't force sex. But at the same time, we don't withhold sex. Okay? Both of those are a form of not loving our spouse. Both forcing it and withholding it. Again, go to Scripture. Some of this may make us uncomfortable. That's okay. We're not afraid to get uncomfortable. We want to be faithful. I want our church, I want our marriages to gloriously reflect God and His glory in redeeming the world through Jesus Christ. Our marriages are to be a picture of the glorious gospel. And Satan wants them to be a picture of broken, fallen humanity and evil. That's what he wants for your marriage. Satan has a plan for your marriage. And he's often winning. He feeds it to us through the world. He feeds it through us through marriage is predominantly about emotion. Now you committed to that person. There's times you're going to feel very emotional about him and there's times you won't. We're to honor our spouse. 
Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 calls them husbands. Husbands often like the part of Ephesians where it says that the wife is to submit. Men are often use that. That has been abused so much within the Christian body. My wife should have an easy time following me because I'm a man of God and I love her and I'm gentle with her. She should not have a hard time following my lead. When she does, I have failed. I have failed before God and God will hold me accountable. It's not how we live. No. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, you die for your wife. Jesus went to the cross for the church. He took the sin of the world upon himself for the church. He took a burden of all the sin on the cross. Husbands, that's what you do for your wife. Husbands, you can never say to your wife, submit. If you aren't dying like Christ died for the church. And husbands, you should never have to say that word. Because your wife looks at you and goes, I would follow that God-loving man anywhere. That's the way your marriage should look. But because of sin, our marriages don't look that way. Because of sin, our marriages are fallen and broken. I know this is a heavy message. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus wasn't trying to make people feel good. So I'm okay if you leave here and you don't feel good. I pray you leave here and the sin that God wants you to deal with makes you feel miserable. So miserable that you repent and run back to Jesus. That you go, I don't want to taste that anymore. I didn't like Pastor Steve talking about that. I didn't like Jesus' words there. I don't want to feel the sting. If you don't like these words, it's not my words. It's the words of Jesus. You get right with him. Honor one another. Glorify God in your marriage. Jesus is worthy. Church, may our marriages declare the glory of God. I'm praying over time we can do more to continually encourage marriages. I know this isn't the feel-good message of the year. But sometimes we have to do surgery. Sometimes we have to allow God to work on us. And some of you, your marriages are coexisting. You're just walking through it. You're just making it. You're not thriving. You're only surviving. We want marriages to thrive. We want marriages to be glorious. We want marriages to, to reflect God's image. No marriage is perfect, but we want to continually head for that. So husbands, you die for your wife. Wives, you respect your husband. Follow your husband. Let's let our marriages reflect God's goodness and grace. Let's pray. Lord, may they walk with you all the days of their life. And may even as we've talked today, may because they're redeemed, their marriages be great and God-glorifying. Lord, I pray that you would hold them fast. We know you will. And we pray that they would walk in the fullness that is Christ. Lord, for any marriage here that's struggling, and at some level that all marriages struggle, we pray that we would each repent of the areas that we need to, we pray that we cry out for help, be it from others, be it from pastors, be it from elders where we need to. And that you would make our marriages what they were intended to be. A picture of the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for redeeming us through your son Jesus. For while we were sinful, he died for us. 
And that is glorious good news. If there's any here today who haven't trusted that as they watch these baptisms, may your Holy Spirit speak the truth to them in Jesus' name. Amen.